So uh, I, I want to say a quick word as we get into this. Uh, we changed early in the uh, uh, period of time we were moving into the pandemic. We changed our format for getting our news out since we knew it was going to primarily be going out online. We went to a uh, format that was more friendly for people to watch uh, or to receive online, especially if you receive it on an iPad or on a telephone. And so I just want to point out some people who've said, well, we can't find this, we can't find that. It's all there still. Uh, sometimes you have to know where to look for it. So as you look at the, uh, the page, when it comes to you, it's going to be a very simple page, but there's going to be some links on it that will take you to the information you're looking for. So a few weeks back under this, on this page, uh, where you see the Worship Plus 3, uh, down at the bottom, you can see uh, where she's highlighted, our full list of Bethany saints is here. And the word here is underlined. That indicates that it's a link. And so if you hit that word uh, with your pointer, it will take you to this page and it will show the saints whose names we read that day. On an ongoing basis, uh, if you look in the, in the uh, newsletter where it says Care and Community, there'll be a line there that says church celebrations and concerns are here. And again, it's, it's underlined indicating the link. So if you click that link, it will take you to this page. So we want you to understand that the information is all there. It just looks a little different than what we're used to. Uh, but we're doing this as a way to be a little more friendly to those who are uh, looking at it on uh, different kinds of formats rather than a regular computer screen. So I just encourage you to, to explore a little bit and look for that. And if you can't find something, call the office and we'll try to help you find it on the email when it comes out to you. Uh, if you're just choosing to join us this morning, we welcome you to worship at Bethany United Methodist Church where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in his image. Uh, we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, in the craziness of this time, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit uh, about, you know, how do we deal with some of the uh, tensions that we're dealing with, uh, particularly with enemies and anger here for a few weeks as we're coming through this time of election. At, at, what, what did she say? It was a stinky time? Is that what Jody said? Uh, and I want to welcome those of you who are lined up, but I also want to welcome those of you who are in the room. It is so nice to see you. Uh, it is a great joy to see you. I, I really, you, you just don't know how much more fun it is to do worship when I get to see you instead of just an iPad. So thank you and, and welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about enemies this morning. And one of the things I've, I've learned when people talk about enemies in scriptures is oftentimes they have certain assumptions they'll make. Uh, so I hear people see, say things like, well, you know, the Bible says we shouldn't have any enemies. Or, or the Bible says we're supposed to make all of our enemies into our friends. And, and this morning, I want to spend a little time talking about the reality of, of what the Bible actually says uh, and, and spending a little time with that. As we get started in this, one of the things, I'm, you know, I'm a word person, so I, I went and I looked a few things up. I went to Merriam-Webster. Uh, and if you look up the word enemy, uh, you'll find some definitions. Uh, one that's antagonistic to another, especially one seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent to something harmful or deadly, such as alcohol was his greatest enemy. Uh, three, a military adversary or a hostile unit or force. But now the word adversary uh, is very similar, you know, one that contends with, opposes, or resists an enemy or opponent. Uh, but when we use those words, there's a subtle difference, isn't there, between enemy and adversary in, a, in the connotation of it? Enemy has that connotation of somebody that's actually trying to harm you. Uh, somebody that wants to do harm to you. Adversary is just someone who disagrees with you or opposes your ideas, but enemy goes beyond that. It's somebody that wants to harm you, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as we uh, move through this morning, uh, the difference between those two. But I want you to understand that the Bible doesn't say we're not going to have enemies or that you shouldn't have enemies. The Bible assumes 
you will have enemies. Uh, there's 170 Old Testament references and nine New Testament references to enemy, singular, and enemies, plural. There's 233 Old Testament references and 23 New Testament references. The Bible assumes you're, you're going to have enemies. The question is, what do you do with them and how do you respond to them? So let's be in prayer. Father, we ask you to come and bring your spirit of peace to rest upon us this morning and to settle our spirits in this unsettled time. Um, open us up to hear what you have to say to us this day and let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to start that little bit of passage here. This is Matthew 538. Uh, and this is Jesus beginning his teaching on this whole topic. And he says, uh, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, now Jesus is referring back into teaching and laws from the Old Testament. And, and it's always good to remember when we're reading New Testament material that oftentimes Jesus is making a reference back to uh, Scripture in the Old Testament. Because remember, in his day, the Old Testament was the Scripture. There was, there was no New Testament yet. So he's referring back to that. Uh, and if you don't have one, the Oxford Annotated Bibles are great because at the bottom of the page, it will tell you all these places and give you all these references to uh, the passages Jesus is talking about. Um, but if you go back and you look these up, you have uh, Deuteronomy, uh, show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Uh, you have Leviticus, uh, anyone who maims another shall suffer the same injury in return, and it lists those. Uh, Exodus 21, if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. To us, that sounds really harsh uh, when we hear that. In, in our day and age, it sounds really harsh. But I want you to understand, in, in the context in which God gave this law to his people, this was a word of restraint. This was a word of restraint. If somebody caused injury to you, you were to require no more than what they did to you from them. In other words, if, if they came and they, they did something that caused your arm to get broken, it was not okay to beat them to death. Uh, I mean, there was, this was a word of restraint that went out. And although we, in our context, oftentimes hear, hear this as harsh, you need to understand that, that at the time in which God gave this law to his people, this was a word of compassion and a word of restraint. Now later, Jesus much later, is going to give us this teaching where he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. Now, I want to stop for a minute, Gary, because Jesus is, is taking the law and he's, and he's bringing it forward. And, and Jesus talks about himself as the fulfillment of the law. And we have to understand that Jesus is, is the word incarnate. Remember the beginning of John's gospel? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus can do this. He can say, listen, this is what the, this is what the law says. Now I'm going to tell you how we're going to, change, we're going to move it forward a little bit now. And, and this is what I'm going to say to you. He is the word modifying itself in effect. We don't really have that permission. So, so I, I want to give you a warning. It's, it's not okay for us to take scripture and say, you know, I know the Bible says that. But what I think is... Well, that's great. That's your opinion, but that's not the word. But when Jesus does it, it's the word. 
It's the word of God. I say to you, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. Do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you this extreme generosity. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, you know, this is one of the tougher teachings of Jesus. You know, I want you to, to love your enemies and, and pray good things for them. And it's one of those things where we kind of go, oh, Jesus, why are you telling me to do that? Because that's really not what we want to do, is it? Let's be honest. You know, when we pray for our enemies, what do we do? Yeah, oh Lord, send a plague of boils on them, right? You know, we're, we're not praying good things for them, are we? Let's be honest. This is who we are in, in our brokenness and in our sinfulness. We don't necessarily uh, or often respond that way. And that's why he points out, do this because in doing it, it makes you children of God. Be, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I want to tell you right now, this is beyond you. And it's beyond me. To do this means that we have to allow the love of God to work in us. You know, when Jesus gives the command and he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, oftentimes we hear that kind of warm and fuzzy, but I want you to think about what that means. That Christ is willing to offer himself up for us. That's what that love looks like. That wonderful passage in Romans 5 that we often read as a uh, word of forgiveness uh, after a prayer of confession you know, at the right time, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves God's love for us. That is sometimes translated as at the right time, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. And this is the love of God that pours itself out e even for enemies. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Love them and pray for them because that's what it means to be children of God. This is what it means to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, is to allow God's love to so fill us, to so fill us that it moves through us to those around us. And this isn't something you or I are going to do on our own. This is something we only are able to do when we invite God's love to indwell us and to move through us. Because it's not our first impulse to pray good things for those who are around us. It's our impulse to pray condemnation. So the teaching of this passage is, well, you know, that's, that's the way of the world, but you're called to be different. I want you to think about the way of the world right now. Uh, these are things that I shared with you earlier in the summer. Uh, this is a, a commentary from Maureen Dowd in New York Times of May 30th this year. And she wrote, the Wall Street Journal had a chilling report a few days ago that Facebook's own research in 2018 revealed that, quote, our algorithms exploit the human brain's attraction to divisiveness, unquote. 
If left unchecked, Facebook would, quote, feed users more and more divisive content in an effort to gain user attention and increase time on the platform, end quote. I mean, they acknowledge that. And if you've not seen it, Netflix has a really great uh, uh, kind of documentary on this. It's called The Social Dilemma. Uh, if you've not watched that, I would commend that to you to watch. Uh, it'll reinforce what she is uh, reporting in this. A, a month after this came out, the Pew Research Center released a study that showed that 12% of us are happy with the state of the country right now. I want you to let that thing sink in for a minute. 12 percent one basically one out of every 10 people is, is happy with the state of the country right now and the rest of us well 71 percent say they're angry 66 percent say they're fearful that's the world we live in right now where we are primarily angry and fearful of one another and what jesus says is that's the way the world is but that's not how i call you to be that's not how i call you to be i call you to to love your enemies and pray for those, pray for those who oppose you and pray good things for them. I mean, in the midst of all this craziness that we've lived into, you know, we can choose who we listen to, but as I keep wanting to remind everybody, it's important for us to keep perspective as the people of God, as followers of Christ, because remember, the president is elected for four years. Every four years we do this, and if we don't like whoever we elect, we can always elect that person out in four years, but Jesus is Lord forever. So who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Someone who's in charge for four years or someone who reigns forever? So uh, <clears throat> at the end of World War II, uh, Europe uh, and, and much of the world was was. Uh, heavily, heavily uh, damaged and in, in, in a terrible state. Uh, this is a picture of a street in Berlin at the end of the war. Uh, the bombing campaigns flattened uh, many of the cities of Europe and, and England and uh, did tremendous amount of damage. And uh, Hiroshima was flattened and incinerated by the atomic bomb that was dropped upon it. Uh, what had been a thriving manufacturing uh, city uh, was simply uh, obliterated. And, and in the aftermath of this, as the war wound down, um, a gentleman by the name of George C. Marshall, who was our Secretary of State, uh, got together with some members of Congress and came up with a plan to rebuild, uh, first to be rebuild Europe. It was called the Marshall Plan, uh, although he really had a lot of help from members of Congress in drafting the document and, and coming up with it. But the idea was to spend the equivalent of what would now be $130 billion dollars to rebuild Europe. Uh, there was a later plan that came along to add more money to that to rebuild Japan, and it all kind of came to be brought together. Now, when George Marshall proposed this, he originally proposed it not, not you know, necessarily out of the goodness of his heart and kindness or anything, but he was concerned that if we did not do something, Europe and its weakened state would be overrun by Russia. And so that was, that was his main motivation in, in bringing this forward. And he brought these plan, this plan and later the plan for Japan forward and put it out. And they were not received with a lot of enthusiasm, shall we say, uh, because he was talking to us who had just spent years being mobilized to a degree that has not been seen before or since. I mean, families across the nation had lost Husbands, uh, uncles, fathers, sons, and this war. 
Families across the nation had sacrificed through years of rationing to free up supplies for the war effort. Families across the nation had taken huge financial hits and many businesses closed. And now that the war was over, the Secretary of State had the nerve to come and say, we want you to sacrifice more to rebuild the enemy's country. And it was not received warmly and, and you know, welcomed. But Marshall and his wisdom prevailed. The funds were made available. Both Europe and Japan began to rebuild. And it did accomplish what he hoped for. It did limit the influence of Russia in Europe. It did have that effect. But what, what it did that even he didn't foresee is it built relationships between our nations and, and Germany and our nation and Japan. And for decades after that, our primary trading partners, our biggest trading partners were Germany and Japan. And it built alliances where we agreed to stand with one another. It did more than what he expected. It didn't only keep the Russians out, but it created this connection. It was a powerful example that, you know, when you actually begin to do good things for those who are enemies, sometimes you end up building bridges and building friendships. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be best buds, but it changes the relationship in profound and fundamental ways. The other end of this is what does it do to us on our end? My, uh, you've heard me talk about this before. My father-in-law, Colonel John Rogers, or Jack as we knew him, uh, was on Java when it was surrendered to the Japanese in March of 1942. Uh, he was a medic, he was a corpsman, and uh, his unit had been assigned to what became known as the, the Lost Battalion. The whole battalion was surrendered and the medics along with it, uh, and they were taken as prisoners of the Japanese for the next 42 months, three and a half years. Uh, first in Southeast Asia and then toward the end of the war on the main uh, islands of Japan. Uh, if you've seen Bridge Over the River Kwai, you get some idea of what they were in. Um, they served in that place, and he was the corpsman in that group. And, and that group came and was put into forced labor. They were fed a diet mainly of boiled rice, so malnutrition was rampant among them. They were beaten with regular, uh, on a regular basis. And over the course of their time in the POW camps, almost two-thirds of the men died. Jack was the medical corpsman. Partway through that, the doctor that was assigned to the unit died, and he kind of had to carry the responsibility for that. Uh, after the war, he would publish, incidentally, an article on, on how to make makeshift medical instruments out of things like bamboo, because it's what they had available to him. They came through that time, and, and, and at the end of the war, they were brought back to the United States. He spent six months in Walter Reed uh, Hospital being rehabbed. And... And then the group, the Lost Battalion, uh, over the years, they began to meet every year. It kind of had a reunion. And it was amazing how quickly they, they began to disappear. They came home. Almost all of them suffered PTSD when they came home. But some of them also carried with them an anger and a hatred and a bitterness that began to eat on them and destroy them from the inside. It caused them to push away God uh, to push away the people that loved them, their family. It damaged their health. 
It damaged their relationships. It damaged their whole life. The interesting thing in the middle of that is that uh, uh, Jack was the second to the last survivor uh, to pass away out of that group. And the interesting thing was to see the way he responded to that. Uh, after leaving Walter Reed, he came to UT to do his, his degree, get his medical his degree here, uh, and graduated from here. That's where he met uh, our mother-in-law, Cindy's, my mother, uh, Cindy's mother. Uh, and they got married, and he began a career uh, supervising uh, the, the labs in Army hospitals. Uh, and that's what he did for the rest of, most of the rest of his career, uh, doing that. Uh, his faith was strong. Whereas so many of those who had been in that place pushed God away, uh, he engaged God even more. One of the stories uh, they tell is about when they were in the, the POW camps that they had a crystal radio set and they would take it apart and, and hide the parts during the day so if the Japanese found it, they wouldn't know that they actually had a full working radio that they could listen into the news at night on. So they, they would take them apart and conceal the different parts. Uh, he carried with him uh, a book of common prayer that was issued by the army. Um, and there were many times when Jack was with one of those soldiers who was sick or who was dying, that he was reading prayers out of this book with them through that time. He moved even deeper in his faith. And when he and his wife uh, moved to San Antonio, where they remained for the rest of their lives, uh, they helped establish the Episcopal Church that's in Wincrest, San Antonio, and lived that out. Uh, to his dying day, he thought Toyota built the best car you could buy. He laid aside all that had happened. He laid aside all that anger that other people carried. And, and, and he allowed himself to reach out. Uh, the, upon an anniversary, I think it was the 50th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, a contingent of Japanese soldiers came, uh, were invited and came to San Antonio. There was kind of a ceremony that was held there. At the same time, they were doing some in Honolulu, and uh, he went to attend that. Uh, he loved, to the, to, to the end, he loved Asian food, and, and while most of the guys after that never ate rice again. He loved it. And he actually liked to take his son-in-law out to places to eat Asian food and order the hottest thing on the menu and see if I could actually eat it. Gave him great joy. He released that anger. He released that bitterness. He focused on his family and on his faith. And that allowed him to live fully. Now, the other part of this teaching of Jesus that sometimes we neglect is that not only does it bless those who are our enemies or our adversaries, it blesses us also. It frees us. It frees us from the self-destructive hatred that eats us up and poisons us from the inside. I don't know that Jack did that with this passage of Scripture in mind but he certainly lived it out in the way that he lived. So as we're in the middle of this, and, and you know the craziness isn't all done yet, as we're in the middle of all of this, I, I want to remind you, who do you listen to? Do you listen to the world, or do you listen to Jesus? You've heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I want to remind you of something I shared with you from N.T. Wright early in the summer. uh, Talking about the pandemic, he wrote and he said, Put Jesus in the center of the picture and work out from there. We don't start thinking and responding via the frame of anything else, political parties, political theories, theological action groups, or even extra-biblical theological constructs and schemes, and then try to fit Jesus and the kingdom into those frames. It distorts, pollutes, and marginalizes Jesus every time. So as you go out this morning uh, with this hard teaching... To, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I want you to remember, put, put Jesus at the center of everything you do. Start from there and work out. And you will find the fullness and a freedom of life that the world cannot provide. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we come and we confess to you that it is, uh, it's hard for us to envision this in the midst of a world that is constantly in strife. Uh, and we confess that it is so easy for us to get caught up in that. So, so remind us that we are your people and that we are to listen to you first. That in all we do, all we say, all we live, we always begin by putting Jesus at the center and, and working out from there. And by so doing, let us be known as your children. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.